Good evening. It is great to see you this evening. How many of you appreciate recipes? You can tell I don't. I don't like them at all. You know, if you had the recipe to some bluebell ice cream right now, you could, you could bootleg that. Illegal, that'd be my luck. I'd go to federal prison for illegal ice cream sales. Uh, that would work well in the yard, wouldn't it? Uh, what are you here for? Well, I was bootlegging Bluebell. Um, but think about how much money you could have if you had those recipes right now, what you could do with it. I, I think about my mother's chocolate pie and the, the recipe she mixed together to make that beautiful, miraculous masterpiece. And I had a grandmother that had some fried potatoes, and they were, I've never had any like that. And she has been in heaven for a while, and she's not given up the secret. It went with her to the grave. But you know, the right recipe can great things can happen from that. What, what is a recipe? Well, it's very simply it's instructions for making or preparing something, or, or creating something. And this evening we're going to look at a biblical recipe for a miracle. A biblical recipe for a miracle. How many of you could use a miracle this evening in some area of your life? We're in John chapter 6, if you have your Bible. Uh, Ronnie Dowling, that comes right after John 5. Um, just trying to help my brother out. Um, make sure he's still awake. It's interesting, folks. This is the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Now, this miracle, along with the resurrection are the only miracles that are found in every one of the Gospels. Isn't that interesting? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You would expect the resurrection to be in each Gospel. The virgin birth is not in each Gospel. Uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead is not in each Gospel. But the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So there must be some real significance for uh, us in this message. And I want to begin with this. What is the first thing you need for a miracle? Well, you need a big problem or a big need, correct? That may sound simple, but if you're going to have a miracle, you need a reason for a miracle, right? Uh, We're going to start in verse 1 and just kind of slowly walk through some of these first verses. In verse 1, it says... Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Galilee in other places is called the Lake of Gennesaret. Here it's called the Sea of Galilee, or it's, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias was the Roman name for it. Uh, Tiberius, the Roman leader, they named a sea after him, the Sea of Galilee. We have a picture of the Sea of Galilee, don't we? It's beautiful. Uh, beautiful area. I know some of you, Sydney and I have been on that before, and some of you have. It's a beautiful country, and probably, obviously, the, the water in that area around there looks very similar to the time when Jesus was there. This is the northern part of Israel where Jesus grew up in the Galilee versus the Judea area of Jerusalem where Jesus grew up in this area. So let's go to verse 2 through 4. It says, A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And it says in the other Gospels that he's healing and doing miracles and showing compassion. And Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. He's really kind of wanting to get away and get a break from it all. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Now he's tired 
And he's trying to get a break, but people are following him by the throngs. And it says the Jewish Passover is near. There's a couple of significances that. That's, that would be like us saying in America, Christmas is almost here. I mean, that, the Passover was a happy time, a joyful time. But it was also a time when lots of these Jewish people from Galilee would be traveling south to Jerusalem. So there's lots of people, and that's some of these throngs of people here are probably going to the Passover, but they see Jesus and they stop and want to be near him and be around him. In verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Why did he say that to Philip? Philip's one of his 12 disciples. Well, Philip grew up in this area. This is probably near Bethsaida. And so it was just common for him to ask. Uh, he, he grew up around there. He said, Hey, where are we going to get uh, something to eat for all these people? And in verse 6, it says, he asked this only to test him. He already had in mind what he was going to do. Test there, Jesus wasn't tempting him to sin. God never tempts us to sin. Test means there he was challenging his faith. He was going to see if, if Philip would trust him and believe in him. And Philip pretty much fails to test like we do oftentimes. Verse 7, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Did you get that? Philip is really optimistic here, isn't he? Huge problem. I mean, you got... Now, listen, it says the feeding of the 5,000. You read this story closely. You read the other Gospels closely. This, it's it's 5,000 men that are counted. At the very minimum, there was 10,000. I'm going to guess there's 15,000 people here. You got 5,000 men. You got women and kids tagging along for sure. I don't mean women tagging along. I like chasing the men. But, I mean, you, got, you have women, you've got the kids, you've got all of them there together. I, I understand what it's like to be chased by women. It is frustrating, but it's something some of us have suffered from uh, in our life. As well as humility. I'm struggling with that, too, as you can see. Anyway, I don't have any idea why I went off on that. But at uh, eight months' wages, what he was saying was is that a common man, a common laborer, if he set aside eight months' pay, we wouldn't even begin to make a dent uh, in this crowd. And, uh, folks, they did not have McDonald's. It wasn't like Jesus and them could say, okay, you know, you can go to Burger King's over here, Whataburger's over here, come back in a couple hours, go to the buffet, you know, this, that. And, and so they've got a huge problem. You've got ten to 15,000 people. And listen, in this day and age, a lot of these people struggle to eat. I mean, that was a, uh, this is an American thing or, or more of a modern cultural thing. Back in Jesus' day, and even probably 100, 150 years ago, if you were chubby, that meant you were wealthy. Chubby was in. Don't you long for those good old days. And, and, and so the common person, you, one way you could tell they were, didn't have much is they, they, were, they were skinnier. So um, these people are hungry. It's a tremendous problem. And there's, there's, no, there's no solution. There's no earthly solution to this problem. You face things like that too, don't you? There's problems all around. I've said this recently, but I read it again today. I want to share it with you. Ruston has more millionaires per capita than any city in Louisiana, and yet the poverty rate in Lincoln Parish is 30%. The, The national average is 14. You go, well, we need to be doing... Projects all over the world, absolutely we do. But the poverty in our parish is double the national average. That's a problem. Now, it may not be for you, 
but it is for a lot of people in our area. That's a problem. Maybe you have a problem this evening. And you look at it, and there is no human earthly solution, easy fix to it. You can't apply, well, if I just had a little more money, if I just did this. I mean, you know, we got this children's building we're pledging on Sunday. It's a $4.8 million building. We need $2.4 million in pledges or cash in hand Sunday to move forward for that. From where I'm sitting, that is a pretty big deal because I can't write the check. That's a, that's a lot of money. And, and maybe it's your marriage. May, again, maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your work situation or a family situation that you look at tonight and you go, this is a problem I can't handle. If you say tonight, I don't have any problems like that, put your seatbelt on because you may have a multitude of those by this time tomorrow, okay? What's needed for a miracle? The first thing that's needed for a miracle is a problem that we can't solve on our own. And we all have those, don't we? But here's the second thing, and this gets harder. The problem's easy to find. The second ingredient that you put in the pan, the problem's always there. The second thing is a person who's willing to fully cooperate with Jesus. This gets a lot harder, doesn't it? This is when you start separating the, uh, the men from the boys. In verse 6 and 7, excuse me, verse 8 and 9, it says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will this go among so many? Let me walk you through this. It says a, a boy, and, and the, the Greek word there for boy, I mean, it was a little child. It was a small child. Now, in, in your mind and my mind, okay, we might think, well, a child's not someone that you want to try to solve your world problems, and we would agree with that. But in Jesus' day, little kids were almost despised. They were completely property of their dads. They had no rights. They were they easily discarded uh, or pushed aside. And so for a child to come forward with something really, ugh, you know, that was diminishing to begin with. And by the way, you've got 15,000 people, and now you have a child's lunch. He mentioned this five small barley loaves. Think of a barley loaf as like the bottom side of a hamburger bun, but thinner, okay? Barley is the cheapest bread of the day. One way a person expressed that they were poor is they would say, all I have to eat is barley bread. It, it was the bread of the poor people. And it says he has two small fish. What were these fish? These are like sardines. They're seasoned little pickle, small fish. So they, they've got a huge problem. They got a huge problem. The one who steps up to help is a little child. Let's say he's a seven or eight year old boy with his lunch. Hey, I've got something I want to help. And what he has in here is not gift cards to, uh, uh, you know, to Burger King for everybody. He's got these five little poor people's breads and he's got these two little pieces of sardines. And if we could read how it was said here, at the end, but how far will this go among so many? There was some sarcasm and certainly some diminishing. Hey, what in the world? How will this boy's gift help us when we got such a big problem? But I want to tell you, that little boy and that gift 
become a key part of the miracle. Folks, this is a great quote. God's not looking for great people. God's looking for willing people. God's not looking for big people or important people. If you're big and you're important, that's great. What God is looking for is willing people. The world may look at you and the world may diminish you. The world may think that you are insignificant. Your problem may be huge, but a key to that problem being solved is you've got to get on your hands and knees and say to God, God, I'm willing to fully cooperate and give you my very best when it comes to this problem. I'm willing to dive in, help, do whatever it takes. God doesn't want you to give what you don't have. God doesn't expect you to do what you can't do. God expects you to give what you can and to do what you can. We're going to build this new building. If you can give a million dollars, you give a million dollars. Amen? We'll name it the Chris Craig Building because I motivated you to do it, right? I'm just playing. I want the playground. I want something on the playground named after me. I'm teasing it would be the worst thing, I'm sure. What if you can give $25 a month above your tithe? If that's what you can do, that's awesome. That little kid's gift would be like giving a dollar a month towards the building fund. Jesus didn't say, I can't use that. That won't help. That won't do anything. Jesus said, bring the boy to me and let me have what he has. And the boy said, here I am and you can have it. This was all this poor kid had to eat. I don't know about you. I'd have been hoarding some fish. I guarantee you there were people who were. They say, man, we need some help. Anybody got any food? I don't have any bread or something. Zach, you smell like sardines. I don't know what it is. It's Heather's perfume out rubbing off on me. I don't know. Hey, let me ask you this. How hard are you praying about your situation? Some of you pray for a day and you go, God ain't going to do anything and you quit. Give me a break. How hard are you working about that situation? See, you've got to pray like mad, but at some point you've got to be willing to give up the fish. Oh, I just want God to show me. Sometimes God's hitting you on the head showing you. <laughs> Someone says, well, a little thing can't make much of a difference. If you believe that, I want you to go home tonight, lock yourself in an airtight room, and let a mosquito loose. A little thing can create a lot of problems or a lot of blessings. You got problems. If you don't tonight, God bless you. Call me tomorrow, next week when you do, and I'll help you. The problems are already in the pan. They're a part of the recipe. The devil is real. He hates you. He hates our church. He hates your family. He's going to do everything to destroy us. The problems are in the pan. The second part of the ingredient is a person, young, old, black, white, green, purple, whatever you are, who is willing to fully cooperate with Jesus Christ. Give your all. Give your best. Give your all doesn't mean give, empty your bank account or quit your job and spend all your time at the church. It means give your very best. It means do everything you can do. God's not looking for great people. God's looking for willing people. Amen? So we got that in the bowl right now. We've got the problem, the problems, the issues, and now you've made a decision. I'm closing my eyes 
I'm screaming like a little girl, but I'm jumping in the pan. And I'm, Lord, I'm going to cooperate with you. Whatever that means, I'm cooperating fully. I'm cooperating fully. Here's the third thing that you've got to bring in the pan, and that's Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes we forget him, don't we? We go, I'm going to work hard and I'll do my best. What about Jesus? No, he, this is too small for him. He's busy. Jesus is never too busy for you. Your problem is never too big or never too small for him. Get Jesus involved in the problem. In verse 10 through 13, boy, these are great. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down. About 5,000 of them. I don't know if the women had to stand the whole time. These were the good old days, weren't they? I don't think so. Jesus took the loaves. I love this. Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks. Do you pray before you eat? I love to go to a restaurant and see people praying before they eat. I don't know if they're afraid of what they're fixing to eat or if they love Jesus, but I love to see it. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Jesus created a buffet there on the hill. He did the same thing with the fish. When they had, they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. They gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Isn't that awesome? Hey, in this day, again, poor people didn't have a lot to eat. You didn't have leftovers. They had leftovers. Notice it said 12 baskets full. Now, that's a wicker basket that most people carried on their side. How many disciples were there? Some people believe there was just enough, about three days worth of food that went in those baskets as they headed to Jerusalem. Jesus is cool, isn't he? He doesn't miss anything. And it says that every person, 12 to 15,000 people, ate until they were full and satisfied. They said, you want some more bread? Nope. You want some more fish? Nope, I'm good. Man, wouldn't you love, go home tonight and visualize this story. Is this not awesome? Yeah, there's, uh, there's another great saying, little is much when God is in it. Amen? Little is much. Well, I don't have much to offer. You offer everything you can and you get God in the mix. Little is much when God is in it. Isn't that great? Little is much when God is in it. Listen, I don't know what your situation or your problem is this evening. But I'm going to tell you, when we do our best, we give our all to Jesus and we're fully committed to the cause and we let Jesus get involved and let him have control, that's when miracles happen. What, is a, what does a miracle look like for you? You're facing a mountain tonight. Let me tell you what miracles look like. Mountains disappear when Jesus is involved. Sometimes you go through the mountain. Sometimes you go around the mountain. Sometimes you go over it. Sometimes you go under it. And this is just as much a miracle. Sometimes you sit and look at the mountain, but you're happy looking at the mountain. You see, we always look at a miracle as something that happens outside, and that's great. Sometimes Jesus doesn't multiply the fish and the sardines. He just makes you satisfied on the inside. Miracles on the inside are just as real as a miracle on the outside. Sometimes Jesus heals miraculously. Sometimes a person doesn't get healed. They live victoriously through the suffering. And that sometimes is the greater miracle. 
What a tremendous story when Jesus got involved. You, you know, again, I want to go back to you. You go, I don't have much to offer. Offer all you can, and Jesus is the key. If you bought me a $10 canvas to paint on, when I finished painting, it would be worth less than when I began, right? I think that was Lance. Okay. Lance used to work at First Baptist. Uh, But if you get a canvas and you get a master artist, they take a $10 piece of canvas and it can be worth $10,000 or $10 million. You see, your canvas, you may be worth ten or $150, but when you let Jesus have it, he can make that $10 canvas worth $10 million. Get Jesus in the center of of the pan with you. And that's when miracles happen. You know, I said this at the beginning of the sermon. I said that I love recipes. And the truth is, I don't care anything in the world about recipes. I love the product. I mean, we have a homemade ice cream supper. If you come and tell me the recipe because I'm your pastor and love you, I will listen sincerely. But I will not remember anything you said as soon as you walk away while I'm eating it. Because all I'm really concerned about is what? It's the product. (laughs) But see, in the Jesus economy, you don't get the product without the recipe. See, some of us tonight are wanting the miracle. We just don't want to go through the process. The problems are already there, correct? Don't have to ask for them. Jesus will get involved if you will bring him to the situation. But you have to fully cooperate with him. And the question right now is, will we? So here's what we do tonight if you're a Christian. Are you willing tonight to say to Jesus, I'm yours, whatever I have, my money, my time, my efforts, I'm fully yours. Are you willing to say that? Christian, maybe when we stand in a moment, you want to come and pray with a minister or pray at the altar. Maybe where you're standing, you need to say, God, I need a miracle. And all I got is some five little pieces of poor man's bread and two little pieces of fish. God, but it's all yours. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join our church. One way you can do that, when we stand, you can come and, and join us. Listen, you need a church family. We would love to be that church family if God's leading you to be that. We want to help you in those miracle processes. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Christ, the greatest miracle ever is a person being saved. It's walking in this room separated from God on your way to hell and walking out. Join to Jesus on your way to heaven. If that's never happened to you,